0: We are delighted tonight to have Pastor here and forgive my confusion in praying that somehow he was here Sunday when he wasn't. We had Brother Nate preached; he was here in the spirit. Yeah, that's true. Um, we look forward to the day that Myra can be with us as well. But if you would, tonight, take your uh, Bibles, your swords... And turn to 2 Kings chapter 5, if you would, 2 Kings chapter 5, and when you get there, if you would stand, we will read the first 14 verses of 2 Kings chapter 5. This is the word of God. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, and honorable Because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria? For he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is in the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive, that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore, hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot, and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth, and went away, and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me, and stand, and call on the name of the Lord his God, and strike his hand over the place, and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the... Waters of Israel, may I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a, in a rage, and his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then, when he saith unto thee, Wash and be clean? Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, According to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord, I can't do this, but I pray that you will, and that you will help and give strength. Lord, thank you that we can be together tonight. May, it, may we hear your voice, Lord. May we hear your word. Um, Lord, there are many in this congregation who are sick. Pray that you would touch them. Lord, many families in our congregation are under great affliction at this time. Lord, help them. Give them wisdom. Give them assurance. Give them a calm repose. In Thy providence and in Thy good hands, Lord, do a work among Your people. Thank You for all these Your sheep, Lord. Help us tonight, Lord, in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Um, my my text tonight will be Second Kings, the the very first verse. I, I'm not going to make it through this. Yeah. Um. This whole passage is so good, but we're going to look tonight at the first three verses. And a title would be, But He Was a Leopard, at the end of verse 1. Let me read verse 1 again. Now, Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. But he was also... A- I'm sorry, he was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. According to the accounts given in Matthew 11 and and Luke 7, when John the Baptist was in prison and began to doubt and to have questions or just wanted to be reassured of Christ's identity, he sent two of his disciples to ask Jesus, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? It appears that Jesus did not answer John's disciples forthright, but went about his work, healing many of their infirmities. And then he sent John's disciples back to John with this message. Luke 7.22 Then Jesus, answering, said unto them, Go your way, and tell John what things you have seen and heard. How that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor to the poor the gospel is preached, and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Jesus sent these disciples back to John in his prison cell with a testimony of Christ's preaching and his works. And that they all pointed to his messianic authority and person. Go and tell John what things you have seen and heard. The blind see. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the gospel is preached and blessed is he who is not offended in me. The works of Christ should never offend the true believer. Christ has power and authority over all manner of sicknesses, infirmities, diseases, and sin. Perhaps when a believer is struggling with doubt, we may hear Jesus say to us, Go and tell so-and-so what great things Christ has done. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We need not look for another There is none other like Jesus. We have Christ. We have his word. He is the faithful and the true witness. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He is the head of the church. He is the cornerstone. And he is the Messiah, the anointed of God, the Savior of men. All these things that Christ commissioned for these disciples to go and tell John all point to his glorious person the very works and miracles of christ all show forth and manifest who he is after jesus's temptation in the wilderness the word said that the devil says that the devil departed from him for a season and jesus returned to galilee in the power of the spirit When Jesus came to Nazareth, where he was brought up, he went into the synagogue to preach the gospel to them. His text was from the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Luke 4, 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, The recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. After reading this, he sat down, closed the book, gave it to, I'm sorry, he closed the book, gave it to the minister, and sat down. But he was not through preaching. As all eyes were fastened on him, he said, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Can can you imagine such a scene? Uh, we we want to be there. We would like to be there and hear that. Just to hear Jesus say those words, it had to be such an astonishing moment. It wasn't it in another place where it said that his preaching was with authority? He taught with authority. And just declaring this would have had such authority with it. This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Jesus was the anointed of God. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus had the spirit without measure. And everything he did was by the power and anointing of the spirit. The word preach is used three times in that one verse. Jesus was anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. He was anointed to preach deliverance to the captives. And he was anointed to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. His whole ministry, whether it was preaching or healing, was by the power of the Spirit. The Spirit was upon him to heal the sick, give sight to the blind, to open the ears of the deaf, to raise the dead, and to cleanse the lepers. He was anointed. This was the testimony he sent back to John in prison that showed forth and manifested that he was indeed the Christ, the anointed of God, and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. The congregation at Nazareth wondered at the gracious words that Jesus had spoken until he began to preach on Elijah and Elisha. And it was at this point that they became offended at the gospel, and offended in Christ. Christ preached in Luke four twenty-seven, And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. Now the people had had enough. Jesus had gone too far in his preaching. All that were in the congregation that day, who had gone to church to worship God, when they heard this, that Jesus preached, were filled with wrath and set about immediately to kill him. One minute they were filled with wonder at his gracious words and the next minute they were filled with wrath and wanted nothing else but to see Jesus killed, destroyed. Listen, it wasn't so much that Jesus was anointed by the Spirit to heal and to recover men from their infirmities that troubled this congregation. The problem was that Jesus, who now claimed to fulfill the very scripture that he read, was by the power and anointing of the Spirit preaching the sovereign and elective grace of God. That's what he was doing. Jesus was preaching God's sovereignty and elective grace. The people in that congregation knew exactly what Jesus meant, and that's why they were angry. God had passed by many lepers in Israel To favor a Gentile, Elisha wrought no miracles for the lepers in Israel. None of them were cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. God had favored a heathen Gentile. This preaching confirmed that it wasn't enough for these people just to be Israelites. It wasn't enough to be an Israelite to have favor with God and to know his good pleasure. They still needed to know the grace of God that is through Jesus Christ, the anointed one. This congregation at Nazareth heard the truth. No preaching was ever like his preaching. They may have thought that they were good with God and needed nothing else. But here was Elisha, and he's passed by all the lepers of Israel to cleanse one man, a Syrian. This was elective grace. And this congregation needed to know the same grace that Naaman knew. That is what they needed to know, friends, Personal revelation, not extra biblical revelation, but personal revelation by the word and the spirit is what saves. In that sermon, Jesus revealed that the gospel of his grace would soon extend beyond the Israelite nation to encompass a people of every tribe and nation under heaven. As the gospel would go forth from Jerusalem to all the ends of the earth. That's the day we're living in. Started in Acts. Go out, go. Christ commissioned them. And although Acts is complete and canonized, well, we're still in the life of the church today. It's still going on. Brethren, this doctrine of God's elective grace in Christ Jesus is a hated doctrine. In fact, our flesh doesn't like it. Everything in our sinful, carnal flesh despises this doctrine. It grates against our flesh. We do not naturally like the idea or thought that God is completely sovereign in the choice of salvation. I think I heard where Spurgeon said, Men do not mind that... God could take the throne in creation or in so many other things, but when he takes the throne in salvation, they they shake at that. They do not like that. See, we want to have a little share of the glory in saving grace. We don't mind if the Lord... Bears the heavier load, but just give us a little share in the glory. Just a little share. But there is no share in the glory of Christ's saving grace. We can add nothing to it, we contribute nothing to our salvation except sin. The glory of salvation belongs to Christ alone. Salvation is of the Lord. We read this passage from Luke, and we can ask, who gets the glory? And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. Who gets all the glory and the praise? Is there any room here for any man to share in this glory? Salvation is of the Lord. All the glory of saving grace goes to Christ. I had a lady tell me one time that she didn't want anything to do with a God who wasn't willing to save her children. Have you ever thought about that? That's what she said. I don't want anything to do with a God who isn't willing to save my children. Friends, that's sad and dangerous. We must come to grips with a Christ that came not to bring peace, but a sword. We must love the Christ that unites as well as divides. Our best hope for our children's salvation is that we do have something to do with a God who may not save our children. Our best hope for our children and their salvation is that we willingly serve the Lord and love Him with all our hearts, regardless of whether He saves our children or not. Your children need that resolve from you. They need to know that you love God not instead of them, but more than them. Compromise with the truth will not win anyone. We will not win anyone by compromise. Many prominent evangelicals today are compromising the gospel to widen the gate a little. And it will not work. God has set the boundaries. We go to our God in prayer knowing that it is only by his sovereign grace and election that our children will ever be saved. We plead with Christ there. Right there at that point, knowing that salvation is totally and completely dependent upon the Lord. And then we go to our children with the gospel and say, repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. One does not negate the other. We need both of these. I've told you before how I grew up in the Wesleyan church. And I do not want to have a condemning spirit towards this denomination I believe that there were some good, godly men in it. There were some, though, and there were some who loved the Lord, but they were Arminian. And they didn't believe in the doctrines of grace. Esther and I started going to a church that taught the word of God. And in teaching the word, they taught the doctrines of grace. Now, when I speak of the doctrines of grace, I'm speaking of, and I kind of hate to even use that term because the word is full of the doctrine of grace. But this is considered the doctrine of grace, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and the perseverance of the saints. So Esther and I started going to this church, and the men began to have a Bible study that I started attending. And at some point in these Bible studies, they began to go through the doctrines of grace one by one with many scriptural references for each doctrine. I came home after meeting after meeting and told Esther, I'm never going back again. I'm done. That's it. I'm through. It's over. Until the next week. These doctrines made me so mad that I didn't want to have anything to do with them. I would tell Esther over and over again when I come home, it was, it was another Arminian bash tonight. That's all they did, bash the Arminians. And by the way, we can present the truth in a condescending way that helps no one and leaves ourselves barren. We are to speak the truth in love, but they were not doing that, or they were not, they were speaking the truth in love. But it was a truth that was cutting Not a critical spirit. Let me say this, too, that the doctrines of grace don't save anyone. You can study the doctrines of grace all your life, and they will not save you. Jesus saves. Jesus alone saves. We need to know doctrine. We must know good, sound doctrine. To know Jesus is to learn doctrine. And you cannot separate Jesus from his doctrine. But doctrine alone doesn't save. Well, as I said, as many times as I quit, I rejoined. So I kept going. And it was somewhere during these studies that these, with these men that the Lord began to show me I wasn't saved. I thought because I had repeated a prayer, made a decision that I was saved. But I wasn't, and my life proved it. God was gracious to me to show me that I wasn't saved. That's, that's mercy and grace when the Lord shows us that we're not saved. I can still remember the thought that vividly came to my mind during this study of the doctrines. I can remember thinking, if these things are true, I am not saved. If these doctrines are not true... I'm not saved. It seemed to me that although we know that the doctrines do not save, God had used the truths of the scripture in reference to these doctrines to show me that I wasn't. I did not immediately get saved. I pondered these things for a long time and wrestled in misery and more misery. Tried to make everybody miserable around me. Now, I am not saying all this to make my experience the standard. Experience doesn't save either. Jesus saves. Don't look to experience. Look to Jesus. The reason I'm telling you this is to illustrate that it was this elective grace of God in Christ that reached Naaman. God's grace reached a heathen leper. Naaman wasn't looking for God. God found him. And that is the very truth that offended the first congregation of the Nazarenes. They were filled with wrath, just like I was. Think about this. A whole congregation was offended in Christ and ready to kill him. You think that there might be any churches today who, if they heard the word of God truly preached by the power of the Spirit come down, that they would be filled with wrath and offended in Christ? How many churches are there today who are offended in Christ? How many pulpits are offended with the truth of Jesus that sets men free They are offended with the absolute, unwavering truth of God's word. They will willingly accept the word of God with amendments, but the word of God cannot be amended. It is a sure word. It lives from generation to generation, and his word shall stand. And we don't have to dress it up. Naaman wasn't looking for God. Perhaps if Naaman could have had... a All the scriptures as we have had them today, he would would love this verse, Romans 10, 20. But Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. Christ found Naaman. Christ found us. That's salvation. Salvation isn't I searched and searched. And searched and sought the Lord, and finally I found Him. No, He found you. Amen. If we find Him, it's because He first found us. But we weren't looking for Him or seeking Him till He found us. The Bible says in Romans three, eleven and twelve: "There is none that understandeth; there is none that seeketh after God." They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. I love this song that says, I don't know if you know it or not, but listen to the words. I sought the Lord, and afterwards I knew. He moved my soul to seek him seeking me. It was not I who found, O oh, Savior, true. No, I was found, was found of thee. That is what so infuriated and offended the congregation at Nazareth. God was found of one that wasn't even seeking after him. Naaman was not seeking after God. He cared nothing for God or the things of God. Some may today think that they are seeking God but not the God of this word the very next verse in Romans that I uh, after the one about not um, after the one about uh, being found of them that sought me not the very next verse is but to Israel he saith all day long I have stretched forth my hand unto a disobedient and a gainsaying people. In, in 1 Thessalonians 1.4, it says, knowing, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Now, knowing our election is a wonderful thing. And we may not only know it, but we're also told to make our calling and election sure. But what a blessing it is to know, brother and beloved, your election of God. But listen, you will not know your election of God in Christ until you first repent and believe the gospel. It's not, Lord, show me my election, and then I will repent and trust you. No, as the song says, I sought the Lord, and afterwards I knew. See, we have a sinner here, and all they know is this. I'm a sinner. I'm lost. I'm under God's wrath. I must get to Christ. I need Christ. They have no knowledge of election. All they know is I must get to Christ. Then, afterwards, I knew. Afterwards, I think the Lord shows us, too, that we didn't figure this out. We didn't make it happen. Yes, I sought the Lord, but it wasn't of me. It was of him. He moved my soul to seek him, seeking me. It was not I who found, O Savior, true. No, I was found, was found of thee. 2 Kings chapter 5 is the account of a man from Syria who was not only cleansed physically of his leprosy, but he was cleansed within. Naaman was found of God. Naaman, I believe, was gloriously saved and adopted into the covenant of Israel. God's elective grace reached all the way into that godless country to save a Gentile leper. Let's look at verse 1. Now, Naaman, the captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance into Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. Naaman was an important and great man in Syria. We read some very commendable things concerning him in this verse. He was the captain and host of the host of the uh, Syrian army. The word said that he was a great man with his master, the king. From the king downward, he was honored and respected of the people. Although we know that at this time Naaman was unconverted, he still had some character about him. You know, there are some men in this world who do not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet they do have some good moral character. And they're well-respected in their communities. Naaman was such a man. Men were impressed by him. His work ethic, his social behavior drew men to respect and honor him. He had a good name in Syria. Many looked up to him. We read that it was by Naaman that the Lord had given deliverance and victory unto Syria in their battles. God had used this captain and commander-in-chief to give victory unto Syria. As the captain of the Syrian army, he was a mighty man of valor. He was a great warrior. and He was a great man with his king and with his country. Naaman was all this. It's gone through. It's given us the list, what he was, his accomplishments. He had a lot going for him. He had respect, wealth, and honor of the people, highly favored of the king. But Naaman was a leper. This changed the whole scenery of his life. All of these things that were his, all of his wealth, his praise, his honor, everything that he had, everything that he was, was all tainted, touched, and defiled by his leprosy. Laman's leprosy affected everything, and he couldn't get away from it. No matter where he was, at home, on the battlefield, celebrating the latest victory with the king, he was a leper. A man may be great in this world. He may have fame and fortune. He may have the respect, favor, and praise of many. He may have vast achievements in many fields of study, accomplished many great things in his life, in the arts, science, politics, whatever it may be. He may have, as it were, gained the whole world, but if he is not saved, if he does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord, Lord and Savior, He is but a sinner. All of his achievements and accomplishment, yea, his very person is all tainted and defiled by this one condition called sin. We could get a board up here behind me and we could start writing some names down and we could write the names of many accomplished and noble men, women, children who have, humanly speaking, done some amazing and profitable things in our world remarkable discoveries in the human of the human race medical whatever it might be and then under each name we could write all the positive things that we know about that person we could fill that list with accomplishments certificates and awards We could write all the good things that they have done, perhaps caring for the sick, feeding the hungry, many noble services. We could list their good, moral, positive character traits, award-winning attitude, charming personality. All these could be added, added to the list. But if they do not know the Lord Jesus Christ in saving faith, the whole list would end with... But he is a lost sinner. He's a lost sinner. That one statement puts an eternal perspective on all a person's good deeds and good works. It reveals who we are in God's eyes, according to the scriptures, and not simply our own opinions or others' opinions. It doesn't matter who you are, what family you're born in, how much you know. How many good things you can put on that list? You need to know the Lord Jesus Christ or you're but a lost sinner. And brethren, before God saved us, there we were. It was written all across our lives. No matter how much we tried to be good, do well, in God's sight, even our righteousnesses were as filthy rags. Our best effort on our best day wasn't good enough to save us. Your best Isaac won't substitute for the ram caught in the thicket. When we read this dark epitaph on Naaman's life, that he was a leper, not seeking after God, unworthy, undeserving of any heavenly favor, Does that not make Jesus' words at Nazareth all the more bright and glorious and full of grace? And you could contrast, but he was a leper with what Jesus said. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elijah the prophet, and none of them were cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. This was grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. God didn't leave Naaman in his leprosy. Christ specializes in cleansing lepers. And Christ specializes in saving sinners. I think I read one commentator that said these two men, Naaman and Elisha, were made for each other. Just made for each other. Naaman could bring his leprosy to Elisha, and Elisha could recover him of his leprosy. Now, if they could be so fit for one another, how much more is Christ fit? A fit Savior for the sinner. Whether you are saved today or not, Jesus is a a Savior, custom-made and appointed by the Father, and anointed by the Spirit for the office of a mediator. Christ is a custom-fit Savior for the sinner. for the saint, too. Have you ever thought about that? Christ is suited to your case. So many people, but you don't know what. You don't know me. Christ does, and he is suited. No case is too great for him. Oh what a savior. Oh what a trinity. Verse 2. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. We know that part of the Syrians battles were with with, with Israel because the Syrian ar- Sy- Syrian army had gone out by companies and brought away captive out of the land of israel this little maiden we're not told the circumstances of these battles and we're not told the name of the little maiden but let's not underestimate her tragedy this young girl was no doubt taken away from family and friends and her own country and placed in a foreign nation that did not know god that is not a pretty picture if we heard of something like that today, our hearts would sink within us. And I'm sure that her family missed her if they were even still alive. And I'm sure that, sure that many worried themselves sick over what would become of her. How was she doing? Was she being treated well? But in the midst of all this, this little maid trusting, trusted in the sovereign providence of her almighty God. We do not find her worried or fretting. How how bitter she could have been. You know, war is messy and violent. She wasn't taken in a time of peace. She was taken in war. And now she was in the camp of the enemy. How justified she might have felt to be angry and resentful toward her captors. She didn't go there. She didn't go there in her mind or heart. She served Naaman's family. She waited on Naaman's wife. She served her enemies. Forced to go one mile, she willingly went two. This this little maid is remarkable. Make a good wife. Sometimes we don't know exactly what a person will do until such a calamity strikes. But this little girl had quite a resolve about her. I think she had a faith. I have here a great faith in God, but let's say a faith in a great God. Her faith was bigger than her captivity. She is actively trusting in God's care over her. And in a very real sense, without this providence... Naaman isn't cured of his leprosy. What would have become of Naaman if this little maid had been bitter and resentful, or even cold and reserved? This little maid used this opportunity to point this Syrian family to the God of Israel. Verse 3, And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria? For he would recover him of his leprosy. This young girl could have also been quiet and never said a word. Uh, She could have done that. She could have just kept her mouth shut. Sometimes it can be just as much of a sin to keep her mouth shut as it is to open it. She could have just done what she was told to do, never complaining outwardly, but murmuring in her heart against Naaman and even against God. She could have done that. Instead of caring for her master, Naaman, she could have secretly wished that his leprosy would be his ruin and destruction. She could have imagined that this was God's judgment upon him, and he will get what he deserved. She didn't do any of that. She did not flirt with any such evil imaginations. This little man was constrained by the love of Christ to not only serve, but also to speak the good news concerning the God of Israel. In verse 2, we see that faith serves Because she served Naaman's wife. In verse 3, we see that faith speaks. Faith serves and faith speaks. Here, this little maid, I mean, here she is, this little maid, away from home, family, and we see her actively loving her enemies. She is laying down her life, her rights, her desires for this Syrian family. She is treating these people like they were her own family. And she is concerned about Naaman's physical condition. Uh, There seems to be a genuine concern here. But I think at the same time it's mixed for a desire for the glory of God to be manifested. Uh, None of this is natural. This little maid must know something of the love, mercy, and grace of God. She tells her mistress, Naaman's wife, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria? for he would recover him of his leprosy. Now, here is good news. This is good news. There is a prophet in Israel. There may not be any hope or help in Samaria or or Syria, but there is a prophet in Israel. Now, in declaring that there was a prophet in Israel, this little maid was declaring something even greater than that. Her hope wasn't in man. Her hope was in God. And Elisha was the prophet of God. Although she had never probably met him, she knew that he was called of God. The prophets of the Old Testament, as we heard recently, were the, were the mouthpieces, God's mouthpiece to his people. They represented God to the people. When she declared that there was a prophet in Israel... She was witnessing and testifying the truth that there was a God in Israel who reigned not only over Israel, but he was the God of every nation. This little maid was pointing her mistress to the God of Israel. And there is no hesitation here, no guesswork. This isn't, I think your chances are uh, pretty good if you go to the prophet. This isn't, well, if he's not too busy and you can get an appointment at the right time, then you should be good to go. No, none of that. The remedy is sure. This little maid is definite and clear to the remedy. For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself for the battle? The message is clear. There was no uncertainty in the words of this mistress. Here is the remedy. Here is the recovery. Here is the cure. Go to the prophet. This little maid did not only believe that the prophet could heal Naaman, she believed that he would heal him. Notice again her words. Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria? For he would recover him of his leprosy. Is there anything uncertain in these trumpet sounds? Is she unclear in any way? There seems to be such a simplicity in this. It's not complicated. She does not only testify to the prophet's ability in these words, she also testifies of his willingness How can she do that? How can she be so bold? Well, I think for one thing, as we said before, she has faith in a great and almighty God. She believes God, and she knows that there is a prophet in Israel. And everything that we see concerning her seems to indicate that she has a working, experimental knowledge of the God of Israel the only one and true God, and there is a prophet in Israel. Listen to, there's another man, a man greater than the prophet Elisha, a man who is very God, very man. He is the God-man. He is the Son of God and the Son of Man. He is the man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him. He is prophet, priest, and king. God, who in times past spoke to us by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, Jesus Christ. And we find in him, according to the testimony of the scriptures, that he is able and willing to save. Jesus is able and willing to save. In Matthew 8, There in the New Testament, we find that a leper came to Jesus and worshipped him. And And the leper said to Jesus, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Now, here was a leper, it appears, that did not doubt Christ's ability to recover and cleanse him of his leprosy. But he questioned whether... He was willing to heal him or not. He certainly had some good doctrine, for he believed in Christ's power and ability to heal him, cleanse him. His theology at this point was spot on. He had several of his doctrinal ducks all lined up in a pretty little row, and he had a fairly good Christology. But the question was still to be answered, would Jesus Cleanse him of his leprosy. Was Christ willing to recover him of this dreadful disease? Notice again what the scripture says Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Sinner, you don't need to despair. Christ is willing, he's a willing Savior. We find that Jesus in Matthew 8 3 and he put and Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will. Be thou clean, and immediately his leprosy was cleansed. I will be thou clean. Brethren, there's power and authority in those words. There's a power that we do not understand, but yet we believe it by faith that he has power to save and that he is willing and able. I will be thou clean, And and immediately the leprosy was cleansed. There's a song that we sing here that we're all familiar with. I think there's two, maybe two versions, and, and this, the verses, these words are in one of them. It is called Come, ye sinners. Come, ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus, ready, stands to save you, full of pity, joined with power. He is able, he is able, he is able. He is willing, doubt no more. How much good would it do for the poor sinner if Christ was able to save, but wasn't willing? Or what about the opposite? What? How much good would it do the poor sinner if Christ was willing, but not able? But Jesus is able and willing. Hallelujah. He is God, come down. God clothed in flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And as the song says, He is full of pity joined with power. Folks, it wouldn't be enough just to be full of pity, but it's joined with power. Is there a better husband for the church? Is there a better friend for the sinner? We have a sure salvation in Jesus Christ because he is able and he is willing. Do we see him that way? Do we see him as Lord and Savior who is willing and able? God help us to doubt no more. Amen. Amen. Let's stand for the benediction. And the God of and the very God of peace sanctify you holy. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be pre- preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is He that calleth you, who also will do it. Amen. Amen.